Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. This is Inside the Military Mind, addressing mental health and wellness for service members, veterans, and their families with your host, Wayne France. Brought to you by Family Care Center, offering behavioral health services for both children and adults and specializing in services for military families and veterans. Family Care Center, our family caring for your family. Now, here's Dwayne France. Hello and welcome to Inside the Military Mind. My name is Dwayne France, and each week we'll be talking about mental health and wellness for the military-affiliated population. Coming up in today's guest segment, I'll be having a conversation with the executive director of the Homefront Military Network, Kate Hatton. After that, I'll be sharing the Homefront Military Network resource of the week, CASA of the Pikes Peak Region, an organization that trains and supervises volunteers to represent victims of child abuse, neglect, and severe domestic conflict. On this week's Insight segment of the show, I'd like to talk to you about why some veterans may experience difficulties in transition and need to reach out for resources like those provided by our guest today. On last week's show, I talked about how some veterans avoid reaching out for help with mental health concerns, how the stigma against being seen as weak can keep them from getting their needs met. Today, as we prepare for our guest, I'd like to talk about a different aspect of help seeking, why veterans might need to reach out for resources in post-military life. I know that we run the risk of painting former service members as charity cases always in need of a handout. Nothing could be further from the truth. The majority of those who served are capable and successful members of our community. Even those who are successful, however, sometimes need some support. But the challenges that some veterans experience in post-military life, such as homelessness, unemployment, justice involvement, substance abuse, mental health concerns, are often directly related to their military experience. Broadly, it can be described as a difficulty in adjusting from life in the military to life outside the military. Think about how service members met their needs while they were in the military, compared to how prepared they are to meet their needs outside of the military. Look at it from the context of Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs is a concept that is widely known not just in the mental health community, but in other areas as well. Business, conflict resolution, education, and many more. Basically, Maslow identified needs that we must all meet to be the best version of ourselves. Physiological needs, safety needs, belonging needs, self-esteem needs, and the need for self-actualization. Each of these needs builds on one another. If we can't get our physiological needs met, such as food and water and things needed to sustain life, then we can't concentrate on safety needs. Safety needs, such as housing, employment, and a stable living environment, are much more important to someone who does not have them than a sense of being connected to each other, and so on. For those unfamiliar with the military, a large portion of the lower needs on Maslow's hierarchy are provided for the military service member with little effort on their part. Upon reporting to Fort Leonard Wood for basic training in 1992, after the Army gave me the same set of clothes and the same haircut as everybody else, they gave me food. They gave me a blanket, a bunk, and a locker to put my stuff in. Granted, the blanket was one of those scratchy green things and the building was built sometime during World War II, but my needs were met. And that continued throughout my military career. 
If you were single, you could eat in your unit's dining facility for free. If you were married, the military gave you extra money to pay for food at the dining facility or elsewhere. If you were single, you're given a barracks room at the end of your first day at your unit. If you're married, you could probably get an apartment or a townhome for your family within a week or two, and the military would pay for your hotel in the meantime. Granted, they may not always have been the best accommodations, but you were housed and fed, no questions asked. Next up, the hierarchy, safety needs, security, order, stability. No question that the veteran had that, or mostly had that. It is extremely difficult to get fired, be discharged from the military service. So there's little danger in abruptly losing your job unless you violate the rules in some extreme way. Every month on the 1st and 15th, you get paid. Again, there are always exceptions, but in the overwhelmingly vast majority of cases, the service member knows with confidence when their next paycheck arrives. The military runs on discipline and structure, so the service member fits right into a routine that's been going on since before they got there and will continue well after. The belonging needs are also a major aspect of a veteran's military service. The bond that is created through shared hardship is well known. Band of brothers closer than family. There's something about an old army buddy that is unexplainable to those that haven't served. Someone can travel across the country and sit on a porch and laugh about old times with someone that they haven't seen in 15 years without skipping a beat. These are mutually supportive and beneficial relationships. They have to be because during times of stress, you need to be able to trust and rely on those you serve with. Next, esteem needs, self-esteem, achievement, mastery. The military provides a nearly infinite amount of opportunities to stretch you beyond what you think your capabilities are. Obstacle courses, jumping out of airplanes and rappelling out of helicopters, enduring harsh environmental conditions without permanent harm, learning how to suffer. Each of these things provides a level of resilience that is supported and strengthened by the encouragement of your friends and buddies around you. During one particular day in November or December of 2008, one of my soldiers said to me, 20 years from now, I'm going to be telling a story about how my bald-headed platoon sergeant made us ruck march through a blizzard. It was snowing pretty heavy at the time. Calling it a blizzard was a bit of an exaggeration, but that's kind of how soldiers are. I hold that veteran in esteem, and I know that he held me in esteem then and still does now, because my platoon leader and I were right there with them. These kind of events help the service member build mastery and confidence and give them a sense of achievement. And finally, self-actualization. Maslow famously thought that few would actually reach this level of true fulfillment in their actual potential. However, there is a level of personal satisfaction that many service members have about their military career. They often engage in personal growth and have peak experience that could approach self-actualization. Then they leave the military. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't mean to imply that military service is a form of constructed or artificial environment that is designed to meet the service member's every need in some way. I imagine that any type of formative environment can find parallels with these examples. My point is that veterans, once they leave the service, are used to having their needs met in one particular way and now have to learn to meet those needs in a different way. Once a veteran has obtained a sense of achievement and mastery in their chosen profession, the military, they then have to pivot to developing mastery in an entirely different arena. A young Marine who led a team in Afghanistan is given the opportunity to lead their own crew for a roofing company and experiences significant stress because they believe that failure equates to loss of equipment or even more importantly, a loss of life. A Navy armament technician who excelled at handling explosive ordnance might struggle in an office environment, even though the task isn't challenging. It's unfamiliar, and they're not used to not performing tasks well. Belonging needs? Many veterans feel a sense of alienation from their family and their communities. The only ones that really get them are their buddies, or those that they served with, and they're not around. 
The bond that is built through shared hardship is not built when no hardship exists. Veterans also learned that in the military, their peers and supporters were very much a part of their lives 24-7, 365. But when the whistle blows or the clock strikes five, the veteran's interaction with their civilian supervisor comes to an end. This also leads to a level of disconnectedness and feelings of loneliness. Continuing back down the hierarchy to the safety needs. PTSD notwithstanding, in which veterans often feel as though they don't feel safe anywhere, stability is a huge factor for veterans. The transitory nature of veteran employment is well known. I've talked to professionals, those who had a successful transition, in which their first job lasts 18 months to two years. That happened to me. My first job outside of the military was about 18 months until I landed where I'm at now. A colleague of mine, a retired Air Force pilot, has had five different positions with four different agencies in a seven-year time frame. It's not because he wasn't good at any of them. It was that he was good at all of them, but needed to find the right fit. But this gig economy and employment shifting is in contrast to the stability that the veteran once knew when they were in the military. It's no longer guaranteed and that loss of stability can be staggering. And finally, the physiological needs. The crisis of veteran homelessness is well documented. A family of five has no longer provided housing at the government's expense. They're at the mercy of the local housing market regarding availability and price. And depending on where they are, $1,200 a month for a housing budget does not give them the ability to find shelter. Food is no longer provided. The basic physiological needs, which were once unquestioned, are now unsatisfied. Now, don't get me wrong. All humans make choices. We live beyond our means. We choose fast and unhealthy over the deliberate and healthy. We choose the path of least resistance. We cope with stress in unhealthy ways rather than the alternative. The point here is that often veterans are unaware of how their former method of meeting these needs are no longer effective, and that leads to frustration. I've talked to veterans who feel as though they're starting over at ground zero and that their military service was meaningless because they can't get their needs met in post-military life. So a breakdown in how we meet these needs is often one of the reasons why veterans might need to reach out for support in post-military life. Most of the time, veterans are able to meet these needs in new ways, but sometimes that's not the case. That's when things start to fall apart and resources are required. And then those who are successful want to help those that aren't. That's a key component of military service, helping your fellow service member, being of service to others. So a veteran or an organization starts a new effort to support veterans, and all of a sudden, we have an abundance of resources in our community. But we also still have the problems of veteran homelessness, unemployment, justice involvement, substance abuse, mental health concerns, and the ultimate consequence of someone not being able to get their needs met, death by suicide. And so that's where my guest today comes in. It'd be great to hear your thoughts on this. Drop us an email at militarymind at fccsprings.com and let us know what you think. Today's interview is with Kate Hatton, Executive Director of the Homefront Military Network. Kate Hatton is a longtime Colorado Springs resident, having moved to Colorado with her husband who served in the U.S. Air Force. Kate's been with the Homefront Military Network and its predecessor, the Peak Military Care Network, since its inception. She previously served as the Military Impact Planning Program Manager for the Pikes Peak Area Council of Governments, coordinating the Fort Carson Regional Growth Plan and military community partnering efforts, including addressing the community efforts of military growth and deployments. Prior to returning to Colorado and joining PPACG, Ms. Hatton was a Senior Project Manager for the International City-County Management Association in Washington, D.C. 
She previously served in local governments in Colorado, holding different positions in Douglas County, including assistant county manager. She has a Master of Public Administration from Syracuse University and a Bachelor of Arts from Occidental College. Let's get into my conversation with Kate and come back afterwards to hear about this week's Homefront Military Network resource of the week. So building a coalition, building a collaborative coalition of military organizations has been your particular passion for a number of years in El Paso County and the Pikes Peak region. I'm interested to hear how you personally got started with this and why it's such a passion for you and your team. Sure. Let me start with uh, part of the passion part is that um, my husband was in the Air Force, and so the Air Force brought us to Colorado. Colorado feels like home, so I'm passionate about Colorado and our community, um, and more importantly, about helping military and veteran families. Um, I started with the Pikes Peak Area Council of Governments, working on the Fort Carson Regional Growth Plan, and really, it, when we were looking at the different the military imp- the impacts of the community of military growth, um, it, we had many different working groups talking about whether it was transportation or behavioral health or healthcare or employment and uh, early care and education for children. And we had separate meetings for each of these groups. And it turns out that we were having the same conversation. And it was really, you know, it was just all siloed. It was really the same conversation, sometimes the same people, but, you know, no, we're talking about behavioral health today. No, we're talking about. And so really it came down to we should be having one conversation with all of the different sectors at the table at the same time, uh, really trying to break down those silos. And so that make sure that other people knew what everybody else was doing, because there was a, a lot of intention, a lot of uh, great work in this community to help our military and veteran community. But people were tripping over each other 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Um, people didn't know what everybody else was doing. And because, again, they were so siloed and focused on their own particular area, not realizing how military and veteran families affect the whole community. So it was really about trying to make sure that uh, we're all working together and not against each other. And, and I think a lot of people in here in Colorado Springs and El Paso County, yes, we know about the military bases. Um, but when people think military towns, they're thinking the small towns outside of military installations like Fayetteville, North Carolina or Colleen, Texas or something like that. But Colorado Springs and El Paso County is as much, if not more, of a military town than those just because of the sheer size of the the number of service members and veterans here. Absolutely. I think probably a third of this community is military and veteran connected, if not more. And so I think that there was a lot of, uh, uh, yeah, there's that base down there or that installation down there or, or across the way. But people didn't realize that the person sitting next to them at church, the uh, children sitting next to their their children in school, or somebody they may be working with is, is military and veteran connected. And they might not know that they're they're struggling because their family members deployed and those sorts of things. And so, um, yeah, it touches everybody in so many different ways. And I think just building that awareness, not just of those who feel directly affected or they see somebody in a uniform, but how embedded the military is in our community and how we're all connected, really. But then the number of resources. You and I have worked together for a while, and there are so many resources here in our community, over 970 nonprofits, um, probably 200, 250 of those military and veteran-specific. And and as you said, all of those silos, getting everybody to go in the same direction can be challenging sometimes. Yeah, a little bit. You talked about herding cats. Um, <laughs> but, it, I mean, the good news is that there's so much interest in helping our military and veteran community. A lot of folks want to help. The bad news is a lot of folks want to help sometimes because – it really is just people don't know what everybody else is doing. And so a key to that is communication and information sharing so that people really know what resources are available. And that that, that approach around that, that you may not be the one who can provide that service, but somebody else probably can. And so to give more uh, folks that information to be able to better serve those they're working with. Some of the challenge, though, I think, if people don't see 
what they need right away, they feel like they have to build it, right? That's one of the challenges we see in our community is more and more organizations doing things that other organizations are doing, which in a community this size, but as this dense with military can really be problematic. That's true. We really want to kind of minimize that duplication. Everybody's got it, the, and use that harness that goodwill and let folks know that hey, that resource probably already exists. Let's figure out how to work together, and that collaboration is really key. We may not be able to build it, and some success might actually be that. Um, you have less folks coming in your door because there are less folks in crisis. And so having that conversation very early on about it's not just about we need more resources to do more, it may be we need a different way to think about how these resources work together. So really trying to, yeah, move people in the right direction and say that, hey, you don't you don't need to, your wheelhouse is behavioral health. That's great. Do that and do that really well. And let's get you connected and make sure you know this other agency that provides employment or early care and education or other resources that you don't provide and build that trust and you know that you're that the person you're working with that needs other services uh, will get good care from that other agency and that you can trust that that's going to happen so building that trust um, and understanding is really important and I think that's crazy. You mentioned a couple times uh, it just meeting the needs and providing the resources along with our large military and veteran population correspondingly is the large needs, right? Higher number of justice-involved veterans. Um, we've talked in the show before about the higher number of suicide deaths in our community, um, but also the higher numbers of unemployment and all of these things along with a higher military and veteran population comes a higher need. And, and that's really what you're trying to provide resources for. Absolutely. And so, you know, service members, veterans, families, the challenge and the families who serve with those military members are, again, all part of our community sometimes facing the same challenges that that non-military folks serve, but also have additional things. They're not part of, you know, they may be separated from family members. And we've talked about all these different ways that uh, the challenges that our military and veteran community faces. Um, and But the needs can, you know, get compounded. And, and particularly in the pandemic, just the, the trauma that can add on to that. And so, and having the unique understanding of what those needs are and that cultural competence is, is really critical. So yeah, it's, it's compounded by not just the number of veterans, but sometimes the challenges upon top of challenge. But again, I think that's something that that you and your team have really done well is that it, you're an Air Force spouse, right? I mean, uh, uh, members of your staff are, are veterans themselves or military spouses and stuff like that. Uh, and a lot of times, again, we've talked here on the show about how um, – military affiliated population won't reach out to somebody unless they understand, unless the person they're reaching out to understands the, the nature of their needs. Absolutely. And so having really understanding, walked in someone's shoes, I think is a really important part. A lot of what our team and a lot of the folks we work with bring to the table to really say, I get it, I know where you've been. Um, and so that makes a big difference. To see, you know, we've got uh, one of our case managers, you know, people have deployed or, or you know, we had members of fa- families deployed for multiple times and, and didn't see family members for a long period of time. So understand, you know, what that's like. Um, I, you know, from my perspective, I get a military spouse not wanting to say, hey, I'm a military spouse and will you hire me? when that employer might think. And so educating folks, um, you know, regular civilian folks move just as much, <laughs> you know, change jobs just as much, if not more than military spouses. And so, and just trying to, again, educate folks around the unique skill sets too that military veteran families bring. And, and another thing that I really appreciate about what you've done is, is you know, you're a voice for the military affiliated population in the region, but also nationally, you you uh, consult uh, frequently with our local leadership um, about military and veteran needs as well. 
Absolutely. Again, it, it, I go back to the whole, it's what a, a part of what we do is that education and outreach. It's about making sure that there's a good understanding and awareness of what's going on in our community, what we're doing well, what we can do better, and where we need that help. It, it takes everybody. It's, it can't be handled locally. It takes local, state, federal efforts, uh, private sector, public sector, nonprofit sector, which takes a lot of the burden, frankly, if you will, of, of supporting our military and veteran community and, and, and individuals in general. And so really it's about having that multi-level multi-layered, multi-system approach. So the, the Homefront Military Network is a, is a network of agencies, uh, community agencies that are supporting a wide range of needs. Uh, can you tell us more about the Homefront Military Network, sort of what you do, some of the partners, sort of how you operate? Sure. I think it, kind of going back to how we started, really, uh, again, trying to make sure, we try to be very data-driven, too, is that to make sure that there, there are a lot of agencies that aren't necessarily focused in, totally on serving military and veteran population, but they serve a lot of military and veteran families and asking that question early on is are you serving military and veteran families? Do you know how many? And it's really eye-opening. Well, well we think so, yeah, they were, when we asked them to share data and to track that, it was, wow, 20%, 30% of our clients are, are veterans. It, maybe we ought to think about how we do business, and maybe we ought to make sure that we have people who understand what's going on. So having that initial conversation and, and, and making it very data-driven about who are you serving and knowing who you're serving is part of how we kind of build that network. So it's not just military and veteran-only serving organizations. And that network really is anything that touches a service member veteran or family. From early care and education, like CPCD, that provides Head Start and early Head Start services, all the way up through hospice and palliative care. Uh, Behavioral health providers, such as Family Care Center, um, uh, Workforce, the Pikes Peak Workforce Center, higher education agencies. And so really uh, trying to make sure that we cover the full range of needs of, again, the service member, the veteran, and their families. A lot of times I think that uh, veterans, uh, maybe those in need, service members, or, or even family members, as you said, service members who are deployed, they get frustrated, right? Because it's almost like a phone book, right? They got to go through the, if we have phone books these days, but they go <laughs> go through this list on a, on a website. You can Google something and, and find 15 different things, but they have to go over and over and over again to find the resources they need. That's what we want to stop. We want to cut, cut, cut through the chase. And so, and if you send a veteran to the wrong place the first time and they're not eligible, they're not going to come back. So we want, we want to make sure that we educate ourselves, our team. We're a great starting point because we can kind of do an assessment, kind of get through all of the, uh, not someone not knowing where to start or tried multiple agencies and are frustrated say, okay, just talk to me. Tell me what you're, what, what's going on with you. Um, and then from that, we can peel back the end and figure out what the initial need is and then be able to make those connections. And by working with those partner agencies, meeting with them monthly, under, monthly understanding what services they provide and don't provide, we can make those correct connections so that people get help that they need the first time around. So it's really about finding the right, uh, you know, what, what, really is that people will also also present with one need and you're right you talked earlier about the fact that people were reluctant to reach out for help um, and so to let them know hey everybody needs help at some point and we get it and so uh, then be able to say okay talk to me about what you're doing uh, what's going on so that we can we can they, they'll present with one issue but they might have several so we want to deal with that immediate crisis need whether it's needing to pay a bill or some other issue and making sure that we can hold, stick with them long term to be able to make sure that full range of needs is met. And I think that's a, a really critical, important point that organizations operating independently may not have that. If if my organization provides 
uh, car repair support and somebody says, hey, I need my car repaired. Well, I'm going to give you that um, without really asking that, you know, hey, where's the money that you usually have for supporting this? Or if I need X, I provide X, I'll give you X. Whereas what you're talking about is I'm going to I'm going to help you pay for that furnace you need. But I'm also going to dig underneath and say, why are you in a place where you don't have the ability to meet that need yourself? Exactly. So we're going to find out what brought them to that situation. Was it? And look at look at. We're going to ask. We ask a lot of questions. Ask them to share bank statements. Is that uh, you can't pay a bill because you just had some unplanned event? You know, a car accident that you couldn't work and the car got totaled and the other person didn't have insurance and and and. Or is it, God, you got big gambling debts? Or uh, why did you buy those three big cars that you? Or whatever it is. Is it just not knowing how? to you know balance a budget is it just not having you know learned how to how to finance take care of your finances properly is it critical or are there other things behind there or you know you went through a divorce or whatever it might be trying to find out what is the underlying cause the goal is not to make somebody whole for the next month the goal is to make that individual or family whole moving forward and be self-sufficient and thrive in our community. And just looking at one particular issue may not do it. We want to be able to, we're addressing the whole, maybe they never applied for VA benefits. And hey, did you know you were eligible? Oh, your spouse is also a veteran. And oftentimes we've had, and I'll be honest with you, a male and female come in and uh, the male is taking care of the VA and, and and the female, the spouse has said, well, that's just, I'm not really, I don't consider myself a veteran. Yes, you served. You are eligible for services. Let's make sure we get you connected with the VA if that's the right fit for you. Um, and then we've had you know folks get ten, twenty thousand dollars in retroactive pay because they never thought about themselves. Again, there's a lot of that selflessness, or I want to take care of somebody else. So when we can look at the big picture and spend not just two days or two weeks, but two months, six months, two years with somebody to make them whole, that's the goal. And we do have to say not all results are typical, right? Not, True. You're not giving everybody yeah, 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 yeah. 10K, right? Yeah. So we don't yeah. want to. But, but <laughs> that's expectations. But but that that is one of the the things, and, and and I think it's important also to say you're not coming from a judgmental level, right? It's not coming in saying you know you should have known this or something like that. It's coming from a true desire to support because again, a lot of you and your staff have been in situations like that. Absolutely, and being in a new community, you don't know things, or you grew up here and you moved away and you came back, but also it's over. There's so much, particularly when you're transitioning out of the military, you know better than I do. There's so many things that, that you're worried about and thinking about is where am I going to live? You know, what, um, do I have a job that's going to pay the bills? And is it the job I really want? All those things come into play. But yeah, it's not about, it's just when we did, we, when we started this, we did a lot of focus groups and surveys with individuals in, you know, who needed services, with service providers, with community leaders. And, and the challenge was that like people just don't know what's available and people don't know that there's things there for them and they then then they're in crisis and if they'd known about it earlier maybe they wouldn't have got to that crisis point so yeah it's not about judgment it's about let's help you find out what we know today and move forward and i think that that's that's something that and we have had these conversations this blows my mind that people don't realize that the resources are out there in a community this large with as many resources this large for them to say there's nothing here for veterans it's caused me to lose my hair maybe right <laughs> Um, but but that that can be a challenge in a resource abundant community. It's almost like there's there's 15 different types of ketchup. I don't know where to start. And that's true. It's like the little kid who has too many choices at breakfast. That's a terrible analogy. But but really, it's it's paralyzing. 
in some ways. It's you don't know where to start. Um, I, like I said, that's the good and the bad of being a resource-rich, you know, uh, community. And, and so really trying to, it, there are also challenges when, when there, there's someone might advertise himself as a resource, but they're not necessarily have the veteran's interest at heart. So that's going back to the network. We really vet those partner agencies to make sure that they're in it for the right reasons, that they're providing a quality service, um, and that they are really committed to collaboration. And, and, and the goal is ultimately not what's best for my organization, but what's best for that veteran or that family. And so, um, but yeah, just trying to make sure you're getting the right information to people that are overwhelmed and giving them a starting point and getting them connected. There, the good news is, is there might be multiple options for somebody. And, you know, this one agency might not be the best fit because they can't get there transportation-wise. And so another agency that's closer that might work. Or maybe it's just a personality conflict. I, I don't want to work with those people. I'd rather work with these people. Whatever it is, if there are multiple options, we're going to provide what we think is the best fit and talk to that individual to find the best fit. But really, it's, it's, it's trying to, to, to sort through all of the madness, if you will, and, and work on that individual level and that individualized uh, need and focus there. And so there's the the uh, any veteran or military spouse or service member um, can reach out and access the network. Uh, but you also mentioned that you provide connection from amongst partners of the network, right? It's almost like I'm over here. I have peanut butter. That person has chocolate. Homefront Military Network is the one that introduces the two. Two great tastes that taste great together. Um, <laughs> yes. And that ideally when the network is working really well is they don't need to come back to Homefront from military network is because you know a different agency been working together they can just make those connections i don't provide that service but i know who does let's make that connection if it can be a warm handoff that's great but that 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 the ability to really increase everybody's knowledge level it streamlines access to services and makes it less frustrating and I think that's a unique thing about our community. A, a, a mutual colleague of ours, Craig Slotman, he describes this as uh, a, a very provincial town of a half a million people. It is all about personal relationships, um, and it can be kind of daunting for service members and veterans, like you said, either emerging into the community or not needing the help, um, having those personal relationships and saying, hey, you know, I don't meet your need, but I know Kate. Let me call Kate, and you can go tell Kate that I sent you there, and that can be a way to sort of help veterans get into the care that they need. Absolutely. It's, you know, I want my Rolodex to be, do people still use Rolodexes? <laughs> to be your Rolodex and anybody that, that I have access to, I want everybody else to have access to. Exactly. And so um, in, in 2020, you went through a big change and it wasn't just due to COVID. Um, in, in for a long time, um, many people know who you are, but they probably know you as the Peak Military Care Network. And another great organization that was in our community was Homefront Cares. And so the two organizations merged last year. Um, I, I'd like to hear a little bit, um, a little of the background, maybe the two organizations separately, how they come together and really enhance each other. Sure. Um, it, it tur- we, we started having the conversation a good six to eight months before we actually went through with the merger, and there was a lot of due diligence. It was it came up in a casual conversation. It turns out that, that the Homefront Cares number one referral was Peak Military Care Network, and Peak Military Care Network, so number one referral was the Homefront Cares. Um, and our 
lessons learned over time was that often someone will is able to admit that I, I can't pay my rent. I'm having trouble paying utility bill. There might be a lot of other issues behind that, but they're willing to to come in the door for financial assistance need. And so that's why there was a big connection between our two organizations because the Homefront Cares provides emergency fund and provided emergency financial assistance. We provided the, provided the navigation on the peak military care network side. Um, and so really it was a partnership and a, and a really a long conversation around can we do a better job of serving veterans by bringing these two organizations together. So they come in the door for financial assistance. Last year, that was 68% of those who called us initially. They said they had a financial assistance need. Um, but when we then we were able to provide that wraparound care and, and that case management around, okay, why? And the why. And so instead of handing them to another organization and making another phone call, that one case manager can address all of those needs. So streamlined access to assistance, um, holistic support, not just for the individual, but with the family. And so that was why the two organizations came together. And really with, with the, the two board members, the two different boards looking, saying that that's, that's really what we want to do. Can we do it better? Can we do it more efficiently? Um, and, and, you know, it's great to save money and have only one rent and, you know, one set of utilities and things like that, but um, with, with the combined staff. But really it was about, can we streamline and better serve? And that's why we came together. And so that happened on one January 2020, two and a half months later, the world turned upside down. So um, we actually, our team is still working remotely. And so we moved offices into one location and, and, and half of our staff has never sat at their desks in their office. And, and so the, both the peak, the, the predecessors of the Homefront Military Network, so the Peak Military Care Network and the Homefront Cares were both longstanding organizations in the community. Um, but then if people say, well, where did they go? They didn't go anywhere. They're now the Homefront Military Network. Absolutely. And really, it was a merger. Both the missions of both organizations continue. Um, and really, it's around kind of practicing what we preach around minimizing duplication and fragmentation of services, bringing these two organizations together. We continue to do the same services. We do it more efficiently in a more streamlined manner. And we were actually able to, not without some pains, triple our call volume last year. Some of that was, uh, you know, the, the the victim of our success, as it were, in terms of the merger. A lot of it was uh, pandemic related. But we were able to pivot to remote working and, and handle triple the number of calls that we had had the previous year. Um, and it was seamless to, for the veterans and families. And so you'd mentioned that uh, you have uh, the navigation piece, right? A, a service member veteran calls Homefront Military Network. They'll actually meet with the case manager. They can ask them these questions and, and sort of help sort through what their needs are. Exactly. We'll do an assessment. And again, they may call, hey, I just, can you help pay my bill, my utility bill? Um, or, hey, I'm new to town and I'm looking for childcare. Or I'm, I, I just, I don't know where to start. I, you know, I got out last year and I don't know what to do now. Um, and then, so yeah, so we ask a lot of questions. And, and the, the whole purpose is to kind of, like I said, peel back that onion, find out what's really going on with that veteran and family. Um, what was their discharge status? What branch of service? How long have they been out? Um, did they serve in a combat zone? All of that is you know information that, that our case managers are going to use to find out aha okay that's a potential resource for that person and then again kind of prioritize what's the immediate need I'm living in my car so housing is probably the immediate need um, and then okay well how do we get there and address these other things to, to again and, and get them connected to multiple and we'll stick with them so you know it may be that one of our partners can help them get into housing one of the SSVF partners for example or a HUD batch um, and then it might be okay we're going to stick with you and get you what's the next step what's the next step and so we do ask a lot of questions to make sure that we can really find the right fit for that individual. 
And so people may be listening to this and they say, well, isn't that what the VA does, right? I mean, you're talking about housing. You're talking about, um, you know, helping veterans find employment, maybe with education benefits and things like that. Um, people may say, well, why is why is this in our community when isn't that what the VA does? Well, you know, everybody does a piece of it. So the VA doesn't, it's not a fit for everybody. The VA does not serve every single veteran, although that may be the perception in the, the layperson's world as well. Um, or someone may not have applied to to the VA yet. And it takes some time to get there. So our job, our goal is to make sure that community organizations like us are aligned with what military and the VA can and can't do. If they have access to VA services, we want to get them connected to those services as quickly as possible. Um, if they're not eligible, we're going to work with them. Our goal is to work with them until you know, those resources are available or to make sure they get connected because they may not know that they were had access to those services. So we you know, want to make sure we heard the cats on an individual and, and a kind of a system level, if you will, to to really make sure that, that everybody's working together. And the VA takes care of health care. They take care of, they can provide housing in some ways. VA has some programs for, for employment like folk rehab, but they're not doing child care. They may not be providing other services that, 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 so it's really about, again, the whole needs. So we've had a great partnership with the VA before the pandemic, we used to have resource tables there um, on a monthly basis at the Lindstrom Clinic to make sure that, that veterans coming in the door knew that there were resources outside of what the VA can provide. Great partnership with the VA because, again, we want to get people in the door to the VA if it's, it's the right fit for them. And then um, complement. It's really about providing complementary services. And I think that's a big thing you mentioned as individuals leave the military, there's sometimes a gap from when they leave the military and when they get connected to the VA. That gap can be a matter of months um, or it can be a matter of decades. And I think that's really one thing that the Homefront Military Network supports is bridging that gap, whether it's weeks or years. Exactly. Bridging the gap is, is, is one of our <laughs> core functions, really. And so it, it's really, and it's a, a, mat, a matter of whatever, it doesn't matter what the reason is. Maybe it's a Vietnam veteran who had trust issues and is now tired and coming back it, with, into the fold. And so we're going to work with those folks and, and, again, try and get folks connected to whatever they need. So, yeah, really, it is about providing that gap, wherever that gap is, and helping, again, collectively address those gaps, whether it's an individual slipping through the cracks just because, for whatever reason, um, or are, are there really systemic issues that we can address together to kind of, well, that's the whole area that, that we collectively need to work on to solve. And again, I think that's where maybe a third area that, that uh, Homefront Military Network can really support is, is uh, driving some of that conversation at the community and the national level. Um, you are um, one of the first, if not one of the largest, community veterans engagement boards, right? So a program that's a partnership between the Department of Veterans Affairs and communities. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, precursor to that, we had a steering team and then the Homefront Military Network Advisory Board that was really around bringing bringing all those folks together. We've always had VA at the table, always had the military installation at the table. The CVBEB is sort of a, 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 a VA-endorsed program, if you will, so it definitely brought um, federal attention to what we were doing, too, and, and attention from, from the other parts of the state to really say that, yes, there is, and in some cases, there was almost a sigh of relief, and it happened on the military side, too, is there is a go-to place. If we have questions and, and, and the VA folks are trying to figure out how to connect to the community, 
again, an, a good starting point. So we may not have all the answers, but we probably know somebody who does. And so that really is, you know, the really way to kind of bring all those different, different components of the VA, which sometimes get siloed themselves, different components of the community, which we've seen it can be siloed as well. And trying to make sure, again, really that's that, that, uh, um, that we're all working together. It, it, it takes a little bit of everybody to make it happen. No, no one entity can do it alone, and no one level of government, whether or or level of the community, local, state, federal. We all need to be working together because there are different policy implications, resourcing capabilities that come with those different components. I've always looked at it as a three-legged stool, right? This veteran support needs to be a three-legged stool. You have the DoD, which is obviously where we all start. Then you have the VA, where maybe we all end up. Um, but then if we don't have that third leg of the stool, which is effective community support, then it's going to be imbalanced. Yeah, it's a little wobbly. I actually have a, one of my slides. It's a multi-leg stool. It's about 20 <laughs> legs um, because there are many parts. But yeah, absolutely. You need all like, and they all need to be about the same size. <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to wobble. And so what are some of the maybe success stories? Um, you've been doing this for a number of years. Again, I, I really have been uh, doing my best over the past year to say the Peak Military Care Network hasn't gone away. They just <laughs> they just changed the name, name right? right. They just We've just changed the name and, and, and have made better. Um, but both Homefront Cares and the, the Peak Military Care Network, now Homefront Military Network, have been doing this for a number of years. You, you've seen some success stories. Sure. Um, I, I, again, System level, individual level. I'm going to talk system level first um, and going back in time a little bit. Uh, going back to, again, agencies who, who didn't realize how many military and veteran families, by having that conversation and convening people and bringing together, we, we helped change the way some organizations do business. They're now tracking how many military members, how many veterans they're serving, which affects the way they provide services. One of the safety net clinics we were working with years ago was in the process of looking for a behavioral health specialist. And when they also started asking folks who came in, are you, did you serve in the military? And 20% of their clients coming in, uh, their patients coming in were veterans. So I thought, well, maybe that behavioral health specialist that we hire ought to understand what veterans are serving. To me, that's a, not really super quantifiable. That's a huge success story. Um, getting folks to talk to each other. Um, it, it, again, trust issues were a big issue, building trust. I would say that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, military, we take care of our own. We don't need the community's help. Um, that is absolutely not the way it is now. The absolutely looking for where's the community support? How do we work together? So being able to have those conversations and knowing there's a land use spot is a big success story in terms of just the infrastructure and the ecosystem here in our community. Um, you know, again, on an individual, I mentioned the level somebody who can uh, come in to help their spouse who was struggling only to find out that they were eligible and be able to get VA benefits. And it took a few months, but it absolutely happened. Um, so that's an example on an individual level. Um, and really, again, you know, trying to bring streamline access to services and when we can help more people and do it with less resources, the whole community wins. There's a lot of, I think funders and foundations see this as a success too, because they're inundated with requests from existing nonprofits for made people who want to start a new nonprofit. Hey, we want to provide the services. And they're thinking, I'm pretty sure that four agents, I just got the same application from four other agencies. So if we can help 
again, provides that there's one that we, we can, that not, maybe it'd be maybe more than one agency is needed to provide a service, but um, hey, let's work collaboratively. The way there can be collaborative grants to work together. There are programs like the um, Silver Keys Choose Home initiative, where it's a companionship program for veterans who may feel isolated. What a perfect time to install, install that kind of program. So again, but multiple agencies who are uh, Homefront Military Network partners serve on that advisory board and say, hey, that's great. By the way, the V should be at the table. This agency should be at the table. So it's a really, again, opportunities to provide collaboration around a particular issue um, or around multiple issues. The, another example is the Pikes Peak Veteran Housing Fund that was a partnership between Colorado Springs, the city of Colorado Springs, Rocky Mountain Human Services, Homes for All Veterans, and Homefront Military Network. Um, a gap was seen is that, you know, there are a lot of landlords who are um, reluctant to uh, rent, rent an apartment to a chronically homeless veteran. But when an education process around that that veteran comes with case management or that, hey, by the way, we can incentivize these the, the landlords to be able to, you know, we, we can, if you're that voucher that you're covering is, it is your rent is higher than that voucher, we can make a, a, the difference on that. Or if there's concerns about, you know, having an arrears, you know, a penalty from rent, you, they can cover those, some of those costs. So it opens up the doors to house people who had buried housing. So again, that's a collaboration between multiple agencies. And so there are ways to kind of try and solve different problems. You're doing a lot of work around suicide prevention and and mental health for service members, veterans, and families. And so being able to build some of those collaborations. So sometimes you kind of get get agency egos out of the way. There's no doubt about that. But um, being able to, you know, open the doors and have conversations are some of those successes. Um, I could talk more about individual successes. I think in some cases that we can actually save lives. Um, because we've gotten, we've heard stories from those that we've assisted. Um, we had uh, uh, someone I know that you worked with too, um, Sally Darrow and her son, um, I, who who was struggling here. And you know, the phone call we got was, "I can't get a hold of my son. I think I'm afraid the next call is going to be from the coroner." Um, a whole bunch of agencies and resources came together to to help that veteran who's doing much better now. He's doing great. That's I think a life that was saved by a lot of people coming together. You know, one phone call made a lot of different connections. And eerily, this past week, we got a very similar call. Um, the veteran was in the hospital, and the mother was like, I need help, he's getting evicted. And so, but again, a whole bunch of resources there, including VA volunteers to come help um, take care of this veteran's belongings. It, you know, it, the, it's just one veteran at a time. It, it, it's, it's, it may seem small, but I think it makes a big, big difference in those ripple effects for that whole family. And I think that's a a really important thing to stress is that um, if Sally had to call five different, I mean, she she would have, I don't think she would have run out of steam knowing Sally, but (laughs) others, others might say, you know, this is too overwhelming for me to be able to do this by myself and being able to have a place to call, right? I mean, not, not this is Ghostbusters and who you're going to call, but, <laughs> but, but being able to have one agency who then is plugged into multiple other agencies is the thing that, yes, we're trying to collaborate things and make things more efficient, but ultimately we're trying to save and improve the lives of those who served. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what's great is because depending on how how much under stress that individual is or how well they can self-advocate or advocate for a veteran family member, we might be able to give them reason. Try. Make these phone calls and, get, and then they get so far and then there's a roadblock and always come back. 
okay, I got, I did A and B, I'm having trouble with C. Okay, well, let's keep working that. So that ability to keep coming back. Um, go on and, and, and fly. You're, you open your wings and fly if you can. If you can't, we're always here as a landing space. Um, and again, not just we, Homefront Military Network, but that broad partner agency network. It really, it, it's a, hopefully a good landing place. And uh, we want to keep improving it and making sure that we can make those connections. The other thing that I think is really um, beneficial is is you, you, you've you not created a central hub where you're the one in, through which all the information flows. You were talking earlier about Silver Key's Choose Home Initiative. Uh, and the Independence Center um, has their home health care initiative which are, are, are complementary. The two of them work together Absolutely. through, not through the mil- Homefront Military Network, but because of the collaboration, the Homefront Military Network. But, but that is an example of a partnership that grew out of a connection through. I, I, yeah, I think so. Good. I, yeah, that's a, a great example of, again, where that's the goal. Uh, the goal, I would love to put us all out of business, to be honest with you, but really is if, if we can just help make the connections or you know, have a conversation, pr- provide a place where people learn about what others do, uh, whether we do that in speed networking that we would do at our partner agency meetings when we could meet in person, or again, that just getting information out. And we meet monthly to try and share that information, say, hey, that's great. Oh, that's somebody having that top of mind so that that's a great place for po- folks to connect. And again, in a silver key in the independent center and another agency can connect to each other and, and Homefront Military Network is out of it, that's great. The goal is to make sure people are working together to meet those needs. And so you have a number of goals that you're working on, um, and you've mentioned a couple of them before, but what really are you looking at trying to make the most significant pack? Not you personally, but the Homefront Military Network, um, the, the really big goals that you're trying to address in our community. Uh, big ro- it's really about kind of collective impact, if you will, if I want to go that high of a level. Um, and it is about, and Joan Gary used the term, listen, lifting everybody's boats, giving people more tools in their toolbox to better serve. The goal is we want to empower agencies to better serve. So that information and that lack of information, that's at two levels. The veteran or the family member who doesn't know what's available and an agency who only knows what's in their world, right? And so when we can expand their awareness and their understanding. So under expanding awareness is really a big part of increasing awareness. Um, and then again, it helps make those connections. Improving collaboration, making sure folks are working together. We've given a few examples. Um, and I think really it's about overall health and well-being and making sure that, that our military veteran community thrives within our hopefully thriving community and we're all working together. So those are pretty much the higher level goals, um, but really comes down to collective impact, which then affects all those other kind of social determinants of health. And I think that, again, some people may be listening to this said, okay, well, that's nice. We have 30% of the community that's veterans, but what about the 70% that's not veterans? But this is something, again, I think that, that we have talked about is as veterans go, so go our nation, that whatever works in, in this very relatively small but diverse population can then be applied uh, to the larger population. Absolutely. And so, again, that it, it, sometimes it's sort of a piloting that works for the broader community. But also, as I mentioned, a lot of the agencies that we work with are not solely serving military and veterans. And, um, and when we first started doing this, we had several agencies that said, you know, I, I, military and veterans aren't even in the biggest part of the population that we serve. But I know if we can figure it out and do more collaboration this way, it's going to help us collaborate in other areas as well. And so it really is sort of that to use a military term, force multiplier. Yeah, absolutely. So if people are listening, maybe they're an organization that that 
I can't imagine why they wouldn't be connected with the Home Front Military Network. But if they want to be or um, individuals in need who want to find out more, how can they do that? Sure. The best ways are to call our main number. Again, that's Home Front Military Network, and our number is 719-577-7417. And that will get you connected to anybody within our organization. Our website is, and I uh, hope you got a little ink in your pen, Homefront militarynetwork.org homefrontmilitarynetwork.org all one long word but easy to remember because it's exactly what our name is and and also uh, 211 is also something that so if somebody were to call 211 and indicate that they were a military veteran they can access that way as well absolutely so yeah we partnership with 211 and many others and so probably 30 to 40 percent of our calls come from 211 um, I think we, we, we can make that connection when folks are military identify as military veteran connected so I, I as you know I am a huge fan of what you're doing um, I, I am a huge proponent of this network idea and and also a personal friend Kate thank you for coming on the show today I'm a fan of yours too thanks for having me I hope that you appreciated my conversation with Kate and share my appreciation for the work of the Homefront Military Network Speaking of the Homefront Military Network, today's Homefront Military Network resource segment is Casa of the Pikes Peak Region. Since 1989, Casa of the Pikes Peak Region has served over 20,000 children in Colorado's El Paso and Teller counties. Hundreds of children in the Pikes Peak Region are removed from their homes each year due to abuse, neglect, or domestic violence. While the goal is to create a better life for the child, entering the child welfare system can be a traumatic and confusing time in a child's life. These children need extra support, and that's exactly what CASA provides. The nonprofit operates three programs which utilize community volunteers to help children. CASA is different than other nonprofits because instead of staff doing the frontline work with volunteers and support roles, it is CASA volunteers who do the frontline work. These volunteers served 1,480 children last year across all programs, and CASA is currently recruiting and training new volunteers in its dependency and neglect, supervised exchange and parenting time, and Milton Foster Children's Fund programs. The core program, Dependency and Neglect, is what most people think of when they hear CASA because the volunteers in this program are referred to as CASAs or court-appointed special advocates. Volunteers in this program advocate for children who are involved with the Department of Human Services and the family court system because of abuse or neglect that they have experienced at home. These court-appointed special advocates gather information and make recommendations that help judges decide what's in the best interest of each individual child. Judges see many, many cases come through their courtrooms. Because court-appointed special advocates are only assigned one case at a time, the volunteer has more time to really dive in and gain a thorough understanding of what's going on in a particular child's life. Judges rely on court-appointed special advocates to make sure that they have all the information that they need to make the best decisions possible for each child. Some of the job responsibilities of a volunteer advocate included visiting with the child and their family, reviewing documents, interviewing biological and or foster families, helping the child understand court proceedings, directing family members to appropriate community resources, writing court reports, and appearing in court to advocate for the child. Last year, CASA served 598 children in the Pikes Peak region with court-appointed special advocates. More volunteers are needed in CASA's Dependency and Neglect program, and anyone who is 21 years or older and has a heart for children is encouraged to learn more.
In addition to its dependency and neglect program, CASA volunteers are also recruited to serve through the nonprofit's Supervised Exchange and Parenting Time, or SEPT, program. Through SEPT, CASA provides an environment where kids can develop and maintain relationships with non-custodial parents when there is a court order in place for visits to be supervised. By monitoring and documenting observations during court-ordered child-parent visits, SEPT volunteer facilitators support individual safety, accountability, and healthy relationships between children and parents who are involved in conflictive custody or domestic violence cases. This program offers both supervised visits and supervised exchanges at the CASA office in downtown Colorado Springs or in Woodland Park. Last year, 134 children were served in this program through over 1,400 supervised visits and nearly 80 supervised exchanges. The third CASA program, which recruits volunteers from the local community, is called Milton Foster Children's Fund. What this program aims to do is to provide enrichment and educational opportunities typically not available through other agencies that help children build the self-esteem and resiliency needed for foster youth to become healthy, contributing adults. Through years of seeing the needs that local children and teens in foster care have, this program has developed into three parts, funding, teen life and skills events, and the hangar. Volunteers are recruited to help with events and life skills classes, teach instruments, and tutor children who may need extra help in certain school subjects. The primary volunteer needed for Milton Foster Children's Fund right now is for people to work at the hangar. The hangar is a boutique-style store located at the Casa office in downtown Colorado Springs where foster teens can shop for free for clothing, accessories, toiletries, and other essential items that have been donated by the community. So often, teens in foster care are left to wear whatever clothing has been donated to them, but the hanger gives them a chance to pick out clothing in their preferred styles and sizes, which goes a long way to building self-esteem. 258 teens shopped at the hanger last year. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, CASA is seeing more children coming into its programs than what it saw before the pandemic. The nonprofit is in need of both monetary donations and new volunteers. Donations can be made online at casappr.org. Community members who are interested in learning more about CASA volunteer opportunities should attend a volunteer information session. To attend a volunteer information session, visit the CASA website at casappr.org and click on Volunteer. From that page, you can see the available sessions and RSVP to one of your choosing. Besides volunteering or donating to CASA, another way that the community can help abused and neglected children is to report suspected abuse. Anonymous calls can be made to the Colorado Child Abuse and Neglect Hotline at 1-844-CO4KIDS. If you think a child might be experiencing abuse or neglect, even if you're not sure, you should call this number and make a report. So thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. It would be great to hear your feedback. I'd like to answer any questions you might have or know what you'd like to hear about. What topics about military and veteran mental health are you interested in? Send me an email to militarymind at fccsprings.com and there's a chance that we'll discuss it on an upcoming show. I'd also like to remind you that the information provided on this show is for informational purposes only. While I am a licensed mental health professional, I'm not your licensed mental health professional. If what we discussed on this episode brings up any concerns for you, it's highly recommended that you consult with a licensed mental health professional. Stay tuned for another great show next week and until then, remember, you're not alone, ever. 
Family Care Center is a comprehensive outpatient behavioral health clinic providing critical mental health support to service members, veterans, family members, and our local community. Family Care Center focuses on the mental health and wellness of those who have served our country's military by providing best-in-class evidence-based therapy, medication management, and transcranial magnetic stimulation. Family Care Center's clinical staff is dedicated to meeting every client's outpatient behavioral health care needs. This is Dr. Chuck Weber, inviting you to learn more at fcsprings.com. Family Care Center, our family, caring for your family. You've been listening to Inside the Military Mind, addressing mental health and wellness for service members, veterans, and their families. Sponsored by Family Care Center, Behavioral Health Services. Our family, caring for your family. fcsprings.com. Tune in every Saturday at 11 a.m. for Inside the Military Mind on KPPF and listen to the companion podcast on Podbean. Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.